0: Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicas podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, December 20th, 2020, and this is the holiday show number 815. Well, for the last month or so, BART's RSS feeds for security bits have been unusually light, and we've had quite short bits with nothing good to chew on. That changed this week with the solar winds breach. But we also wanted to talk about Facebook trying to kick up a kerfuffle about Apple's tracking transparency changes. We had a third security medium planned, but we decided to record it today, and we're going to play that one next week because it's kind of evergreen. And uh, that one's going to be all about the new Oblivious DNS over HTTPS, or ODO. I think it's a joke on Star Trek. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, I had, of course, prepared some content for the show as well. So this is going to be a great episode. I actually moved one uh, piece. Uh, I think I'm going to do it in two weeks. It's a, it's a big uh, configuration thing going on here. Because I also put out the call in our Slack and Facebook communities and that I'd really like to relax for Christmas week. And I am just so happy so many people did recordings already that I have a full show already for next week, and I'm not going to have to do a lick of work during the holiday. In fact, there are two recordings that will go into the following week in January, so I definitely have a proper little holiday. With that, let's kick into the show. This week's Chit Chat Across the Pond is another installment of Programming by Stealth. In this installment, Barbu Shots continues on his series within a series explaining the version control system Git. We advance in our branching strategy by working several commits on our dev branch, and then we learn to use a merge commit to bring only the final commit into the main branch. That leaves the half-working intermediate commits only existing on the dev branch. This process illustrates the need to learn about tags, both lightweight and annotated. Once we understand how these tags work and their importance, we evolve our PBS branching strategy one step further. You can, of course, check out the link in the show notes to Bart's fabulous tutorial show notes, and you can sign up to subscribe to Programming by Stealth in your podcatcher of choice. It's time for an annual holiday tradition from Steve.
1: Since Christmas will soon be here, I thought it would be a good time to resurrect the poem that has become a holiday tradition on the Nocilla cast. In 2019, we lost our beloved Honda Bob, a long-time Nocilla castaway and contributor to the show, and a very dear friend. But his memory and the silliness he inspired in the Nocilla castaways will live on. So grab a hot beverage and some cookies, sit back, relax, and enjoy a slightly modified version of The Night Before Christmas, dedicated to Honda Bob. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a trackpad. Okay, work with me here. The earbuds were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that all things eye-maker soon would be there. The nocilic castaways were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of iPads danced in their heads. And Podfeed in her kerchief and I in my cravat had just settled down for a long winter Skype chat. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the keyboard to see what was the matter. Away to the windows! I flew like a flash drive, tore open the shutters, and nearly did a nosedive. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of brushed aluminum to objects below. When what to my eyes seemed very bizarre, but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny cars. With a little old driver with whom helves hobnob, I knew in a moment it must be Honda Bob. More rapid than 4G his vehicles they came, and he tweeted and shouted and called them by name. Now Accord, now Civic, now Fit and CRV, on Element, on Ridgeline, on Pilot and Odyssey, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now drive away, drive away, drive away all! As dry leaves that before the reality distortion field endowed, when they meet with an obstacle mount to the cloud, so up to the housetop via vehicles they flew, with the sleigh full of apple products, and Honda Bob too. And then in a twinkling, I heard with a squeal the skidding and sliding of each little wheel. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney, Bob, came with a bound. He was dressed in coveralls from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with oil and soot. A bundle of SSDs he had flung in his Scotty vest, and he looked like a geek who was extremely obsessed. A wink of his eye and a look not too pious... Soon gave me to know he had an apple bias. He spoke not a word, but texted his concern, and he filled all the stockings and then hit return. And laying a finger aside his levitation app, a command to his iPad, up the chimney, ASAP. He sprang to his sleigh, and the autos did they bristle, and away they all flew as if shot from a missile. But I heard him exclaim as the poem prescribed, Happy Christmas to all! And please stay subscribed.
0: Ah, Steve, that was fantastic. I love this annual tradition that we play this. And uh, in the live chat room, we were discussing the fact that uh, a lot of it really still holds up. It's been played many, many years in a row. Um, Steve did change my tagline at one point in the poem. and I, uh, But, you know, you talk about iPads and things, everything is still there. I guess the, uh, the one thing Steve noticed was that he talks about 4G. Maybe he's got to do an update where he goes... Actually, you could pause it and go, uh, 5G now or something. <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's a nice memory. And, uh, if you haven't ever heard any of Honda Bob stuff, do a search on podfeet.com and, uh, you'll, you'll hear actual interviews with Bob where he did, uh, reviews for us. He was a, it was a great guy and it's a fun Christmas memory for all of us. I've mentioned a few times, maybe a few hundred times that I'm a big fan of exercise I got to tell you, though, I grew up in a family that had never exercised, and it wasn't until I began dating Steve that I was even introduced to the whole concept. I remember one day when we were in our early dating years, he said, I think we should exercise. Let's start doing sit-ups and push-ups. Not having done them in a very long time, in that first sitting, he did 50 sit-ups and 50 push-ups, followed by 25 sit-ups and 25 push-ups. I did not do the same. Anyway, fast forward 40 years, and now I work out a lot. I still don't do sit-ups, and I definitely don't do push-ups, but I do get a great deal of exercise. In the before times, I ran on the beach every other day, and I worked out in the elliptical with Dorothy every other day where we talked about programming. And then in the afternoons, I dragged Tesla our dog around my neighborhood for another hour of walkies. I don't go to the beach now, and I'm far too clumsy to run on the sidewalk in our neighborhood. I broke my hand the last time I tried it. Gotta understand what happens if you break your hand jogging. Somebody said I didn't break my hand jogging, I broke my hand falling, but, you know, that's nitpicking. Anyway, so all I do now is I walk and walk and walk. According to Workouts++ Plus Plus by David Smith, I've walked 5,279.86 miles since I got my Apple Watch. But you know what, I'm getting a little bit bored because I've pretty much mapped my entire neighborhood now. For quite a while, I tried marching up and down my stairs to simulate a stairmaster. Or I guess that's probably the other way around, right? But I gotta tell you, it's boring as all get out. I also can't stop focusing on the spot on the wall that I tried to fix with a bit of paint and it totally didn't match. Really bothers me that that didn't match. Anyway, it takes about 40 minutes for me to burn 200 calories on the Stairmaster when that same amount of time with Dorothy would have killed off 300 calories. Also, my knees started to hurt after doing my home Stairmaster. Lindsay suggested I try high-intensity interval training, or HIT, as it's called, and suggested a guy named Rainier Pollard on YouTube. I started doing it on the big screen and it was awesome. He's hilarious and the workouts were really hard. I'm not going to talk too much about the grossness of this, but my shoes were damp when I was done. I sweated so much. I really like HIT because you do like 40 seconds of some insane exercise and then you get 20 seconds of rest. You can stand just about anything for 40 seconds if you know you get a rest. The only problem was that I started having back pain because of the plank type exercises he does. I don't know if you're noticing a theme here. I try something and then I start having pain. Maybe I'm just old. When Fitness Plus was announced, it came at just the right time to pique my interest. If I hadn't tried YouTube like Lindsay suggested, I don't think I would have been able to convince myself to try a TV-based exercise class. I gave Fitness Plus a try this week, and I really like what I've seen. Before you can use Fitness Plus, you need to update every Apple product you own. Apple TV, iPad, iPhone, Apple Watch, you gotta do them all. As Ken Ray would call it, it's update-a-go-go. All right, you probably don't have to do all of them, but the watch and whatever device you plan on using to watch the trainer have to be updated. The service is really crying out to be on the big screen, so the Apple TV is the ideal tool for the job. But in the future, when we can travel, I can see running Fitness Plus on an iPad in a hotel room. Or if I'm in a hotel room, I can see going down to the hotel bar instead of exercising, but that's not important right now. When the iPad is updated, you can now go to the App Store and download the app, Activity. When the Apple TV is updated, the Activity app is automatically added to your home screen. The iPhone already had the Activity app, but after the update, it will have a tab for Fitness Plus. Now, I started by using the Activity app on Apple TV, so I'll be kind of talking from that experience. Alright, enough fooling around. Let's get exercising. When you launch the Activity app, you will be asked to select your Apple Watch on the big screen. Now, I assume the list I saw, which was my watch and Steve's, was a list of Apple Watches currently on the same Wi-Fi as the Apple TV. I wonder if this list might get a little cluttered if you're on shared hotel Wi-Fi and you're not using a VPN. But if you're listening to this show, I'm sure you'd be using a VPN, so it wouldn't be a problem. After you choose your watch, you'll see thumbnails of different types of workouts. You'll have the option of hit, yoga, core, strength, treadmill, cycling, rowing, dance, and mindful cooldown. We'll come to that last one at the very end. I chose hit because I love hit now, and on the left sidebar I had three ways to find a workout: all trainers, all durations, or all music. <laughs> yeah, no, I wasn't going to pick my training by music. Since I don't know the trainers yet, and obviously I wasn't going to choose to my workout by the music, I chose all durations. This provided 26 thumbnails representing different hit workouts. Once inside all durations, I now have the option to narrow down my search by duration. I chose the longest possible option, which is 30 minutes. If you select the different workouts, you'll be provided a very short but useful description of the workout. It'll tell you a smidge about what you'll be doing and also if any equipment will be needed. For example, some of the HIT classes require dumbbells and when I did the testing, Steve was using our dumbbells so I needed one that didn't. I chose a 30-minute HIIT workout with Jamie Ray, which said we'd be doing the same seven moves three times with a few easy moves thrown in between rounds. The equipment needed was a mat, but I used a towel because I'm a cheater. Also, I don't own a yoga mat. I haven't figured out what they're for yet. It was immediately evident to me why Fitness Plus is so much better than watching a YouTube video. In the upper left of the screen, I had constant access to my own workout metrics because the app is connected to the Apple Watch. I was able to constantly see my own heart rate and how many calories I had burned. Not only could I see my own metrics, but there were also two clocks. One was the entire class length so you could see how much more misery you had to go. The second was a clock for the move we were doing. Now remember I said that hit is a 40 second interval of workout followed by a 20 second rest interval. When Jamie Ray told us to start a move, the clock would reset to 40 seconds and likewise 20 seconds counting down during that delightful rest period. I'm rather fond of those 20 seconds. I do have to say, when you're watching a YouTube video, a lot of times they'll say, okay, we're gonna do this for 40 seconds. And then you don't know where you are in those 40 seconds. All of a sudden they go, 5-4-3-2-1. But I like to know how long I have to go. Now the whole idea of HIT is to get your heart rate up and this workout did not disappoint. A few times I was hitting 160 beats per minute, which was higher than I'm really comfortable letting it go. Your peak heart rate is supposed to be 220 minus your age, which for me at 62 would be 158 beats per minute. So I was really at that limit. Now, there was a right way to slow my heart rate down, which didn't occur to me till later. The nice thing about these workouts, and the ones I've done on YouTube, is they show two people working out behind the main trainer. One of them is doing a modified version of the exercise. So if the trainer is leaping in the air in a move, the modified trainer might be going up and down on their toes instead. This is great for people with knee issues, so you've got a modified person you can follow if the main person's doing crazy moves. Now what I should have done when my heart rate got too high was do the modified workout for a bit, but I tried something else. We'd just done a tough move that had my heart just beating out of my chest, and we'd finished with the rest 20 seconds, but it was still beating too fast. Jamie Ray had already started to move on with this new move, so he'd started another 40 seconds. I grabbed the remote, and I paused the workout, and I, you know, paced around a bit until my heart rate came down a little bit. This worked, but it had taken me about 9 seconds to get the video paused from the beginning, so now Jamie Ray only had 31 more seconds left on the clock for that move. I wanted to do the full 40 seconds, but to my chagrin, I discovered that you can't rewind a workout, at least on Apple TV. I think this is a little bit of a miss for Apple. Maybe they did it on purpose, but here's another use case where I'd like to be able to pause and rewind. With a new workout, it's sometimes difficult to figure out a new move. Maybe you have one of those dancer-trained brains that can simply observe a move once and immediately replicate it beautifully, but it can take me two or three times before I can figure out that my left arm supposed to be going forward when my right leg goes back. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm not the only person who would like to be able to rewind and rewatch a move. When my heart was pounding away at one point, I noticed that the big screen was showing my pounding heart. Now, I understand technically how Apple is pulling my workout data from my watch and throwing it up to the big screen, but it was very weird to be feeling my heart beating and seeing it beating on screen perfectly in sync. I mentioned this to my daughter, Lindsay, and she asked a great question. How is it measuring it and getting it up to the screen in perfect synchronization? Probably, you know, through the cloud at some point too, maybe? I don't know. But how is it getting in perfect synchronization? I realized perhaps it's one entire beat off, or maybe even five beats off, or perhaps it's showing the downbeat when I'm experiencing the upbeat. In any case, it looks like it's perfectly in sync, and that's really cool. Now we all know that Apple's never had a successful social environment for their services, and so far, it doesn't appear that they're trying to do that with Fitness Plus but they did add a way for you to get a bit of a competitive aspect, and it's called the burn bar. While you're working out, along with the clock and your own workout metrics for calories burned and heart rate, there's a horizontal pink line with a little icon of the type of exercise you're doing inside it. They call this the burn bar. You remember those drawings they'd show you when you were a little kid of like a snake that had eaten an egg, and there was this big bulge in the snake, and you could see the chick inside of the egg? It's kind of like that. I know this is gross imagery, but I bet you can picture the burn bar now. The burn bar shows your effort compared to others who've done this workout. When you finish your very first workout, you'll see an explanation that if the burn bar is on, your data is anonymously becoming part of it. They also tell you that this first workout will not be sent because you haven't yet consented to have your anonymous data sent. I chose to leave the burn bar on because this seems really fun. When I was sweating my way through Jamie Ray's torture session and my heart was about to break loose, I noticed that the little hit egg in the snake was way close to the far right and it said I was ahead of the pack. When I finished the workout, there was a cool screen that showed all of the metrics, including my burn bar results. I burned 212 active calories in 32 minutes with an average heart rate of 143 beats per minute. That put me in the middle of the pack for the burn bar results. I was kind of excited before it said I was at the head of the pack. But then I thought about it, being in the middle of the pack, is that good or is that bad? And we all want to be at the front of the pack, right? But when I look at that jerk that got 278 calories from this workout and was the head of the pack, is total calorie burn necessarily a good metric? It could be that the jerk is super out of shape, so their heart rate was really high because they're carrying a lot of extra weight, and maybe they don't have any muscle built up yet. Or it could be because they're 27 years old and they're allowed to have a peak heart rate of 193 beats per minute without expiring like I would. It's hard to tell whether you should chase the head of the pack or not. Now in the classes I've taken on YouTube with Rainier, he always did a cooldown at the end. So I was quite surprised when Jamie Ray basically said, see ya after the last move. He did suggest we go find what they call a mindful cooldown class. My first impression of the Mindful Cooldown was that the description sounded all touchy-feely with meditation and stuff. I've never been into that kind of thing, but I gave Dustin's Mindful Cooldown a try. I'm going to put it out right here. I'm in love with Dustin's Mindful Cooldown. It was awesome. I'm not going to lie, one of my favorite parts of the Cooldown was that I got exercise credit for doing it in the Fitness Plus app. Sitting on the floor for 10 minutes on my mat substitute old towel, I got 46 active calories credit on my watch. I know that because, again, I got the metrics at the end of the mindful cooldown. I do think I deserved the credit, though, because it showed that my average heart rate was 116 beats per minute. I clearly needed that cooldown. But I also love Justin's cooldown because he showed some ways to stretch the hips that I'd never seen before, and he said they were especially good moves if you find yourself sitting in a chair for extended periods. <laughs> what nerd doesn't sit in their chair too long? This could come in really handy. I don't know if all of the mindful cooldowns are as good as Dustin's, but I am now a big fan. After I wrote this up, I went back and I tried some yoga because a lot of people are talking about yoga and... Uh, I didn't really take to it and mostly it was because I didn't get hardly any calorie burn. I did a 20-minute yoga workout and I burned 46 calories. That is not worth the time. I didn't feel more flexible. I didn't feel stronger. I didn't feel mindful or any of that. And plus, you know what? During the yoga... They play music the whole time, so I'm trying to hear this person explaining to me what a mountain pose is or a downward dog or some cobra or something, and they're playing music over it, so I can't I can't listen to two things at once. Anyway, I don't think yoga is for me. But I tell you what, if you've been wanting to get more exercise, but you don't know where to start with classes like these, Apple has an Absolute Beginner Series. In these seven videos, you can learn the basics of workouts like HIIT, yoga, strength training, and more. I did do the beginner series on yoga, and that's, you know, I think it'd be good for everybody else. Maybe not the class that I needed to take. The bottom line is that I had high hopes for Fitness Plus, and Apple truly exceeded them for me. I hope you'll consider getting moving and using Fitness Plus to break the monotony of whatever exercises you've been doing. I'm definitely going to keep at it because my bottom line is really sore from doing Jamie Ray's torture class, and that is my main measure of a successful workout. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Booth Shots. Uh, you know, Bart, we've had a pretty easy couple of uh, last Security Bits where we were digging for information, asking yeah. people, what do you got? Got any questions? And uh, everything changed.
2: Yeah. So be- because of timing and end of year stuff, I had two days to do this, this lot of show notes. And... Thank goodness I had two days to do this lot of show notes, because as as Alison will attest, I only just made it. Um I literally <laughs> came skidding in technically two minutes late. um so basically it was double a double workload, which I guess makes up for three three previous short ones, but jeez, yeah, no the, the universe has got oh, security news. oh we'll, we haven't reached <laughs> our quota for twenty twenty. Have it all.
0: Let, let's have the largest bomb of all time. So that yeah. that's awesome. But before we get into the big stories, because we've got uh, actually got two or three deep dives, I forget. We've got two?
2: two deep dives and one that we've put off till next week because, well, there's too much here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I told Bart, I looked at his show notes and it was 4,976 words. Ooh. And that's just his words. That's if I didn't talk at all. So uh, we we definitely put something off. But before we get started, um, we got a listener question for Security Bits, and I would really like more of these. I think these mm-hmm. uh, are interesting when we get the kind of questions uh, that, that can trigger some thought. And there's some that uh, I have the same question. Basically, Thomas Cooper asked the question, is TikTok actually a national security threat? Which is not a unreasonable Bart.
2: question looking at the headlines, right?
0: <laughs> Good luck with this one.
2: right so the first thing i'm going to say is that this this is an opinion piece right this is Mm -hmm. my opinion because what there is missing in this story unlike you know a specific vulnerability in a specific library which has a specific effect where i could be all facty just not that much facts to get stuck into here so this is my opinion and if you disagree with it you are entirely free to do so and i will respect you for it don't take this as gospel just Take this on board, digest it, and do with it as you please. So the first thing is, I have at the top of the show notes, TLDR, nope. Because <laughs> nope, frankly, that is it's not a national security threat. Okay. Um, but there's a, a little bit more thinking to it than that. So the the argument goes, the reason you should consider it to be a national security threat is because TikTok is a Chinese company. And in theory, that means that the Chinese government could order them to hand over all of their data that's on their servers to the Chinese government. And at the moment, the argument isn't that this is happening because there's absolutely, positively zero evidence that it is, but this could happen at any time. Or it could be happening in such good secrecy we don't know about it. So it is an argument from potential is the first thing to underline here. And I believe it was Richard Feynman. If it wasn't Feynman, then it was um, Billions and Billions guy. Uh, But it was one of the two best physicists ever um, who said that, I can't prove there isn't a pink teapot orbiting Saturn, but that doesn't mean there's a pink teapot orbiting Saturn. So I can't (laughs) prove to you that the Chinese government do not have every single piece of data from the servers of TikTok. But that doesn't mean they do. So I'm not an American, right? I'm in Europe. And so to me, I actually don't see that big of a difference between TikTok and Facebook. And so I sort of think of TikTok as a Chinese wannabe Facebook. So the data they collect is actually very similar, right? It's user content. It's your social graph. It's what you watch, how long you watch it, when you skip it, what you like, what you dislike, what you choose to share, right? It's the same kind of information as Facebook likes to hoover up. The difference is Facebook is all pervasive and has gotten their little buttons on every website in the world nearly, and TikTok haven't. So Facebook are more accomplished data hoovers, but TikTok would love to be as good at data hoovering as Facebook is. So they want Facebook-like data. They, they have their Facebook-lite, but they wish they were Facebook full-blown. Okay. So how you feel about TikTok and how you feel about Facebook should be closely aligned. Especially when you're not in America, because well, actually, even if you're in America, this my argument still stands there's actually we know for a fact there are secret courts in America, the FISA courts, which compel companies to hand over information and to lie about it if asked. they're not allowed to say that they have or haven't,
0: so right, we've seen that proven.
2: Yeah, so that exists within America. So if you're okay with Facebook and you don't consider, you know, if if every British person doesn't consider Facebook a national security threat, then why would an American consider TikTok to be a national security threat? It's no different. The American government is no different in this regard to what we think the
0: Chinese government might do. So can I, I'm going to interrupt really quick. It was Bertrand Russell who referred Mm. to the teapot and it was actually an orbit around Mars. That one took me a little bit longer to find Uh-oh. because it was. It, it's actually not a. Uh, I don't think it's a pink. Yeah, it is a pink teapot. So anyway, I just for maybe, those who were yelling it was into their phones.
2: Reused by Feynman because I never not remember it being an orbit of Saturn because it could hide in the rings.
0: Ah, okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, the, either yeah, the point stands. And it, anything Bertrand Russell he was quite the character too. Um, <laughs> very fascinating chap. Anyway, uh, so. There are definitely edge cases for whom Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you name it, are an existential threat, right? If I was the president of America on a secret mission to visit the troops in an active war zone, I would not tweet, Facebook post, TikTok. I wouldn't do any of those things because giving away my location could get me killed. Mm Mm-hmm. But leaving aside those edge cases, what are we actually left with? What we're actually left with is soft power. The soft power is not nothing, but it's not a national security threat. It's it's different. It's the stuff we're used to on Facebook. So what could the Chinese government do if we assume, for the sake of argument, that they are getting everything from TikTok? Let's just, right, we have no evidence that this is happening, but let's just assume they have the lot. What's the worst case scenario? So they could definitely use it for intelligence gathering, right? If I wanted to know what your average American thought in an unvarnished way, then watching them on TikTok would give me a pretty good idea about what is exercising America at the moment. So
0: that is... It might tell them what we think is
2: funny. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. But that gives you a cultural insight that is definitely of value when you are trying to construct propaganda. If you want to... Right, right. Right, You're trying to do statescraft, understanding your opponent is valuable. So it is definitely of value to the Chinese government to understand the psyche of the average American. So that is that is definitely something they could use this data for. And it would be, they would want that and it would be advantageous to them. Just like the American government is hoovering up information about every nation in the world to try to figure out what's going on on the ground, right? That is what governments do. Right. The other way that TikTok could, and in fact, this this one is really not all that hypothetical at all, at all. We have pretty darn good evidence that TikTok has been deleting videos mentioning things like the persecution of the Uyghur Muslims or the Gentleman's Square massacre. We have pretty well-documented examples here. TikTok say they don't censor. I don't buy that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, why would they not censor TikTok? They censor everything else.
2: Correct. And TikTok is headquartered in China. So it seems, I don't think there's much of an argument here that there is at least some censorship going on on TikTok. So censorship is definitely a tool that the Chinese government ha- have at their disposal. Uh, and I'm pretty sure they use it. And then the third soft power tool is propaganda. So rather than deciding what not to show, decide what things to show more, right? Mm. So these algorithms, all of these social media sites are about boosting Things, right? You find random content and you boost it. Well, you can boost it for the purpose of maximizing ad revenue by boosting whatever gets the most engagement. And that's what's in the fiscal financial interest of the site. But the government could also pressure you to boost what they like too. So if someone says nice things about Beijing, Beijing, there could be a tweak in the algorithm that gives that a little bump. And makes it, you know, 5% more likely to show up on someone's feed than something else.
0: But again, that's not a It's not an existential threat. threat threat. It's soft power, right? Right, I mean,
2: Facebook bias everything on Facebook, because that's literally the whole point of the algorithms here is to bias Mm -hmm. things. So, you know, so that is kind of the worst they can do is those three soft power tools. That's not an existential threat. That's not a national security threat. And the only thing that keeps coming to my mind here, right, it's not in the show notes, but I realise while cycling, I should have put it into the show notes. The reason you need an excuse for trade wars is because of something called the World Trade Organisation. The WTO is the organisation that governs international trade. And under WTO rules, you can't just impose tariffs for the crack.
0: Right. Oh, you have to have a reason for you it. And have so have you have to have a make reason. Up a, if you make up a national security reason, then you can put tariffs.
2: Correct. Because one of the reasons in the rules for the WTO, one of the legitimate reasons for tariffs is national security. And that's why, officially, the reason that there is a that there was, I think that's been resolved now, but the reason there was before ACTA, or the, sorry, the replacement, I can't believe it's not ACTA, Um <laughs> Before the most recent North American trade agreement, the reason that the U.S. government gave for putting sanctions on Canadian aluminium was national security concerns. And that was because (laughs) the only way to do it legally under WTO rules was to pretend that Chinese aluminium was a national security threat. And so the only reason to pretend TikTok is a national security threat is for WTO rules to allow you to have a trade war with China.
0: Okay. Okay. So I, I, this whole thing made me feel like uh I was a, a pawn on a chessboard except <laughs> somebody was actually playing checkers with it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love that description.
0: Yes. Okay. Well I, this this is great. We could probably go on about this but we uh we do have a lot of deep diving to go but uh I, I definitely want to thank Thomas Cooper for sending in a question. If you have a security question that you think Bart could a- answer um Especially the tougher ones, I like to I see Bart, the, the more uh, precise ones are easier. I don't have to censor myself. <laughs> yeah, right, right. All right, let's keep going.
2: Okay, so follow ups then. Uh, so long running stories we've been tracking. There's obviously COVIDy stuff. Um, very much to everyone's surprise. Apple released an update to older versions of iOS, so the iPhone 6 and a couple of other older devices can now run the uh, COVID exposure notification system. Oh, excellent. That is a surprising piece of good news. Yeah, because particularly the, the the iPhone 6 is a very popular phone. People liked that phone. There's a lot of them still about. So it's great that it now has this ability. And also, to make Allison happy, California has joined the COVID-19 Exposure Notification Club, having enabled the Apple and Google API for the state.
0: With no explanation why the, the state the that hosts. has the companies that invented it, just like, oh, oh, wait, we could do it too.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and they thanked Google and Apple for their help. And I'm thinking, I think they may have been offering it for some time. <laughs> anyway. Ah. um. A few weeks ago, two episodes ago, so four weeks ago, we linked to a story under Interesting Insights uh, from Vice.com, which was uh, how the US military buys location data from ordinary apps. And uh, one of the services called out in that article as being the provider of this unexpected source of location data was a company called Mode. Both Apple and Google have banned their API from their app stores. So that is one less way in which there is this spying on people happening behind our backs. So that is an interesting and positive development. Last time, then, we talked about Wavlink. Uh, They're a Chinese company that do sell some stuff directly, but their biggest claim to fame is that they were the manufacturers of Jetstream routers sold by Walmart. And they were found to have a a back door in them.
0: Oh, I remember that from last time. Yeah. I the advice was throw it in the bin.
2: Yep, I stand by that advice. But the manufacturers have released this firmware update, which has yet to be verified by security researchers, and they claim it's backdoor free.
0: I, don't... I trust them, Bart, don't you? No. <laughs>
2: Jeez. So yes, that's where we stand on that story.
0: All right, so Another... throw it in the bin is our is our standing position on that. It is certainly my standing position on that. And if you agree with me, then it's ours. Sounds like it. You didn't pay much for it in the first place, which is part of the problem, right? Bing, bing, bing. You get what you pay for.
2: Um, More social media developments. All Well, in this section of the story, they're all positive because I've called it social media improvements. Um, Twitter have updated their warning labels uh, on false election claims in the United States. Rather than saying that the uh, result is disputed, the, uh, the, the warning now states the factual answer. Election officials have certified Joe Biden as the winner of the US presidential election. So you see a certain incumbent tweeting nonsense, followed by election officials have certified Joe Biden as the winner of the US presidential election. I was interested
0: to see that because I just saw a tweet uh, this morning that didn't have that, but Hmm. then again, maybe it was... uh, It might have been a retweet, so it might have been that was older before they changed this.
2: Hmm. I've seen a screenshot. It's linked in the show notes as a screenshot. Um, So it is definitely happening, Okay, uh, but maybe not universal. All right. Uh, The private messenger signal has added encrypted... group voice calls, up to five Hmm. people. So that's a nice addition to the Signal app. And WhatsApp is uh, bringing video and audio calling to their desktop and web clients, which is useful for WhatsApp users. And then finally, the people at Zoom are giving everyone a Christmas present uh, with unlimited video calling for Christmas.
0: You know, I think I had that happen because yesterday we had a a family Zoom call and we normally get cut off at 40 minutes Mm -hmm. and we weren't cut off at 40 minutes. Excellent. Yeah. Uh,
2: and then the final ongoing story is um, we we have mentioned a few times since the summer when Apple announced that it was going to happen, that uh, there would be these privacy nutrition labels, as we're all calling them, in the Apple app stores, uh, Mac and iOS, and they would be coming on the 8th of December. Well, the 8th of December has been in Ghana, so ta-da, we have ourselves nutrition labels. Or Yay. at least there are... They are beginning to arrive, so you have to update to the latest version of the relevant OS so that your App Store app can actually see these labels. And developers have to update their app. So from now on, no app update will be accepted without labels, but Apple are not throwing everything sans label out of the store. So the labels are going to start flowing in, but they're not universal yet.
0: Okay. Will th- will there be a point at which they are mandatory that like a- an app would disappear because it didn't have one? Mm, your guess is as good as mine. Okay, they haven't said. Okay. Yeah.
2: And what they have said is basically every update to your app from now on must contain these labels. So every app that gets okay. an update from now on will have to also get labels. Okay. Uh. So there's a nice article linked over at Intego, sort of explaining the concept of these labels. Um. WhatsApp was immediately cranky because, of course, Apple's Messages app is pre-installed. Therefore, it is covered by Apple's very detailed privacy policy, but it doesn't have the exact same pretty pictures.
0: Hmm.
2: Uh, So Apple have said, all right, then fine, we will update our website with the pretty pictures. That didn't really make uh, WhatsApp happy because that's not really what they wanted.
0: Wait, Bart, who's WhatsApp owned by again?
2: Yeah, park that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned.
2: Uh, and then the good people over at iMore decided to have some fun and uh, do a little league table of who is the trackiest of the trackers. Um, and probably no surprise to find that uh, Facebook-owned companies sweep the boards on that one. Hmm. Um, so links in the show notes are to two articles, Facebook, Facebook Messenger, top iOS 14 tracking charts, and Apple's new privacy feature feels astonishing cost of using Facebook. Uh, What I've also seen doing the rounds is a video showing, you know, scrolling through the privacy bit for Signal and the privacy bit for Facebook app. It's quite the contrast. Wow. Finally, then, uh, Apple's Craig Federici has said that Apple would like other app stores to copy the privacy.
0: Oh, Interesting. So Which they're not saying this is our this makes a, is a differentiator for us. We think everybody should have access to this. So come on, Google, steal from Copy us it. and do it. Copy yeah. it.
2: Which is a good message. So I, I yeah.
0: yeah, that's kinda of interesting. Indeed.
2: Okay, well that's all of our follow up. So let us get stuck into the first of our two deep dives. And this, this is this one's deep. This is This, this is a is... itty
0: bitty little topic, you know, not 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 a big impact or a lot to say.
2: Yeah, I'm always wary of saying such grandiose things on the first year of a new decade, but this could develop into the biggest security story of the decade. Certainly the biggest of 2020, which is not that controversial to say, because we're pretty much almost out of 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, So you will have heard this described as the solar winds attack, for reasons that will become obvious, but there's actually more to it than that. So... It all started on the 17th of December when the U.S. Cybersecurity and Information Security Agency, which I am going to call CISA from now on, released an alert detailing a long-running attack by an Advanced Persistent Threat, or APT, against, quote, government agencies, critical infrastructure and private sector organisations. So basically, important things within America. And what's worse is, they say the attacks go back at least as far as March 2020. This ATP, which is generally speaking a euphemism for state-sponsored hackers. Oh, I seg- didn't
0: know that. So an, an, an APT is, isn't is just any old random bad yeah. girl doing awful things.
2: You'll often hear it described as an attacker with state-level resources, is the other euphemism. Okay. But it's basically an extremely sophisticated attacker with so much weight behind them, they're almost certainly a government. Because okay. that's how much it takes to have that level of sophistication. Basically the difference between a military and a militia. In a digital sense. Uh, okay. So they have been successfully infiltrating US government, critical infrastructure and private sector organisations. We know that much for certain. Uh, there is a consensus within a lot of the security community that it's probably Russia but that is not something that is being claimed by CISA and that is not the only theory out there uh, and we well we may know at some stage it, it, it is possible that we will I mean this is still very much a developing story right? The 17th of December is not that far in the past so we may know more but for now that is a possibly or probably depending on your point of view not a Definitely or certainly. Okay. Now, a big reason this attack has been so successful is because the attackers managed to score an amazing coup. The attackers managed to inject malware into the third-party network monitoring and management platform called Orion, sold by a large US company called SolarWinds. And this is a network management and monitoring system used widely among large organizations. This is not this is not a tool for a home network. This is a tool for a giganto big network with big needs. This is this is the kind of infrastructure you would have if you were a government department, major multinational corporation, etc. So th- this is so a, Is
0: is its function to monitor your network for bad things happening? Yes. Okay.
2: It it is the it's network nice irony there. It, it's not so much an irony. Um, in order to be able to proactively monitor and manage a network, you need to have massive levels of network access, so that it makes you a real target in exactly the same way that AV on your computer has to have massive levels of rights to be able to do its thing, which makes AV a massive target for attackers.
0: Okay. So this is
2: like network level AV.
0: Okay. So this is a huge
2: coup for an attacker to get themselves infiltrated, and. They got in so deep in SolarWinds that they were able to get their malicious code into the build process so that the normal software update process was digitally signing and distributing the booby-trapped versions of the Orion code. Okay. So everyone who was staying patched to stay secure was actually staying patched to get hacked. That is a real worst case scenario, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's in the update software. Yeah, we, we don't know how they got it into the update software, though. We as the general public line? certainly don't. What? Sorry.
2: We as the general public do not. Okay. I I don't know what SolarWinds and or CESA know, but we okay. it, it's none of the announcements made publicly have gone into detail about how how Solar got compromised. We just know that they got compromised in such a way that their normal build process was distributing compromised software. Okay. So everyone who was just following along and patching their Orion was getting the malware. Now, this has been happening since March, so why hasn't haven't we all noticed? Well, one of the most important things if you're a successful ATP or if you want to be a successful ATP is that whenever you get great power, whenever you succeed in getting an amazing zero day, or in getting an amazing supply chain attack, which is what we call this kind of thing, where you get right into the software update, mechanism them a supply chain. Whenever you succeed at that, you use it very, 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 very judiciously.
0: Okay, so because you don't want to waste it on on you know drawing skeletons on screen that laugh at the users. <laughs> correct, because the simple fact is, every time you make
2: use of an exploit, you risk being detected. So okay. you choose to use it as little as possible against the most valuable possible target in as unobvious a way as possible, and only when you think you're about to be discovered do you go mad and uh, you know just attack everything. <laughs> Okay. It doesn't seem that happened in this case it seems they were caught before they realized they were about to be caught uh, so that means that while many 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 organizations have malicious versions of Orion installed because it was pushed out through the standard software update mechanism the vast majority of those were not attacked They hmm. they had a back door but no one ever opened that back door oh
0: that's right? good news
2: It is. The problem is it's really hard to tell if you're one of the lucky ones or one of the unlucky ones. It's impossible to tell for sure, although there are, uh, CISA has released a whole bunch of, um, oh, they have a euphemism, not a euphemism, they have an acronym for it, uh, Indicators of Compromise, IOCs. So if you scan your logs for these specific patterns of activity, then you were one of the places where the backdoor was opened. Hmm. And if you don't see any of those indicators of compromise, you probably weren't, but you should act as if you were and reset a bunch of passwords, re-image a bunch of servers. The list of things to do is huge. And there's a big list of things everyone should do. So as well as releasing the, um, actually, yes, we should also say that Orion is the most obvious vector of exploitation which is another one of these acronyms that are one of these phrases they love in SESA. Uh, Initially, we thought it was only Orion, but we now know that actually the attack predates March and there were other mechanisms used before they got Orion working. So it looks like the scale of the attack was way, 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 way smaller before they succeeded in getting Orion because that was the mother load, right? That's an amazing achievement for, for an APT. But it does seem they were already in a few places before then and that Orion just took it to 11.
0: So you're saying that they they were able to do this, excuse me, exploit, but for people who were not using Orion to secure their networks. Yes,
2: yeah, so they were getting in some other way and the details of what some other way is have not been released. So they may not even know.
0: You can't look at this and say, well, we weren't using Orion, so we're okay. Correct. Because there are
2: now we now have at a number of confirmed cases where Orion was not the way in, and yet in the APT was. So hmm. Orion is the bulk of it, but it's not the totality of it. Hmm. Okay, so as well as issuing um, a report saying this had happened on the 17th, CISA also issued its fifth ever emergency order ordering all U.S. government agencies to do a whole bunch of stuff, including powering down their Orion appliances ASAP and start looking on their network for all of these indicators of compromise and applying a whole bunch of mitigations. So basically it's an order telling sysadmins what to do. And it's a lot of work. The stuff being described in those orders is not like a five-minute job. This is major.
0: You're probably going to get into this, but I I want to ask it right here to keep Mm -hmm. everything in this context. Is this something that, say, BART as a sysadmin for a university has to worry about? Well, it depends on whether or not you're an Orion user. But you said it was known to be also before Orion.
2: Okay, but before Orion, that would mean that you would need to be the kind of place targeted by an APT. So if you're a random university... It's not impossible, but it's not going to be high on your list of things to worry about today, unless you have it. some other indicator of compromise. Okay. Um, really, if I was a, a U.S. utility, say a power company or something, I would definitely be paying attention to this, even
0: if I wasn't running Orion. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, so that, that puts it a little more in context.
2: Yeah, because an APT is going to again they have they have massive resources to do really complex attacks, but they they know what they want.
0: They're not wasting right. those resources on and random. It's probably not podfeet.com. Yeah, unless. But that's a pretty valuable domain. I mean, that's. I mean, not unless you're
2: an amazingly, amazingly convincing front for something spectacular, Allison, I don't think so.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: So the next thing I think it's important to understand is that because of how this attack worked, and we'll go into some more detail in a minute. Patching Orion doesn't solve the problem at all. You should think of Orion as a proverbial beachhead. It gave the attackers a way in. It, it it wedged open an entryway into the network. But that entryway wasn't the target. That entryway was a means to an end. The actual end was to get themselves embedded in the network.
0: So, so once it's in there, shutting down the Orion appliance wouldn't stop that stuff from working?
2: Correct. It bas- What it basically is, is literally bolting the stable or closing the stable door after the horse is bolted, right? Mm-hmm. So the way they got in to embed themselves was through Orion. Well, they're in now and they've embedded themselves, so Orion is not really, you know, needed anymore. So one of the major things that these attackers did was to use Orion to get at the private keys. That manage the network. Um, Because remember, this is a network management system. Right. So with those private keys, they can then mint legitimate, unauthorized security tokens. Right. They're legitimate because they're signed with the actual private key. So they're going to pass all validation, but they're not authorized because they absolutely have no permission to make these tokens. (laughs) So... You could then create tokens for yourself to get all sorts of access to data using APIs. So you could read everything on the corporate file store, everything uh, in the corporate mail server. Uh, You could read everything from Office 365, potentially, depending on which keys you manage to get your hands on. Uh, Everything from SharePoint, those kind of things. You could also use those forged tokens to reset password and key system accounts. Or one of the absolute scariest things that has been observed is using the private keys to create the credentials needed to federate an entire new identity provider into the network. So suddenly every machine on the network trusts identities asserted by the attacker's identity provider. So the attacker gets to run a server in the cloud somewhere and just create their own user accounts and have them be believed by the entire network.
0: I heard Bruce Schneier on uh, Tech News Weekly say, the only solution is to burn your network to the ground. Uh,
2: That is a pretty good description of um, what what is in the to-do stuff from CISA, yeah. It's basically tear it down and build it up again. They're talking about re-imaging every server, resetting every key, resetting... Every password. I
0: mean, this is this is like having someone inside your company who, for some reason, has an invisibility cloak and it, and knows all of the passwords to everything and can change everything. I mean, yeah. This is this is all of it.
2: Yeah. So yeah. Uh, the listener Linda sent an email asking, you know, whether this Orion vulnerability affected Windows or Mac or if it was just servers and. Uh, it's sort of a hard question to answer in the sense that it's kind of an irrelevant question because this kind of attack is not infecting computers, it's infecting the network. So don't think yeah. about this as a vulnerable version of Word. Think about this as the entire Windows domain has been infested.
0: And and not just the Windows domain.
2: Well, no, this is all Windowsy stuff, right? This this is Windows domain stuff. This is a managed Windows Orion. All of this forging with Orion is all about Windows domain.
0: But most corporate networks, the Windows domain is the corporate network. Sure. Uh, okay, so I, I guess I pictured this being the network itself, not no no, not... no, 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 It's the network in the sense that a, that a non-techie person would think of it. It's okay. the Windows domain. Okay. Well, so Macs are fine.
2: No, because start, Max can do an AD you, just like everything else. Max are, Max these days in a corporate network are just members of the domain, like everything else.
0: Right, right. I'm just teasing, but er, everything you connect to, yeah, really, is it, it is it is compromised.
2: What What needs to be fixed is the domain, and that's a huge undertaking.
0: A yeah, huge I mean how how would you even burn your network to the ground? I mean, uh, you'd have to stop every operations, every
2: key, revoke every key, reset every password, reimage every server.
0: In other words, shut down whatever it is you were running for months. And recreate it from scratch. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I mean, it, it is a
2: Herculean task. It is an unimaginably big task. And the analogy I would give to sort of put some context onto it is it's, it's sort of like trying to fight a cancer that's metastasized. Mm-hmm. If it can hide in even one organ... And survive your purge in even one organ, it can sit there utterly dormant for weeks, months, or years mm-hmm. and then come out and slowly, quietly and do it all again, do it all again hmm. like this is th- this is not the end of this story. this is not the beginning of the end of this story. And if I was an IT person in an in a government agency or you know one of the other p- technically private like a government contractor or a, a major utility, if you know anyone working in IT for those guys, buy them a coffee or two or three. <laughs> because th- th- this is, th- I'm, this I'm is thinking huge. I
0: would just change careers at that point. You know, <laughs> Well, I mean, you could cause... take
2: it as a challenge, right? This is this is this is an amazing opportunity to really get to test my skills.
0: Yeah, I guess. So I, I would suspect that classified networks were okay because they wouldn't have been externally exposed because usually classified networks are air gapped from the regular network.
2: I the air gaps are never as airtight as you think. I mean i c I'm not I'm not qualified to to, to, to give you yeah. a meaningful answer on that. Well
0: I I mean you no. wouldn't you'd be you wouldn't be using these monitoring tools for sure. Mm, but there
2: could be there could be keys. Like nothing is fully air-gapped in the 21st century. There is data flowing of some sort. So I, I don't think th- I don't think there's any means. value in 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 the blind leading the blind on this one.
0: Well, I'm not uh, completely blind on this one. Not completely. No, because no, obviously, but Yeah. The, it, the way it, things it, but, were
2: even a year ago, are different to how they are now.
0: Sure. Um, But I did see on the news in certain places that was saying that it wasn't affecting classified networks. And I was curious why that was, that they were saying that. (sighs) My only assumption was because they're air-gapped. But, I mean, you could be in a situation where, I mean, you have to update your networks, even if you sneaker net in a, a thumb drive to do the update, you've still now moved something from the outside to the inside, right? Right. That's what I mean. They're never airtight completely. Mm-hmm.
2: I no. I'm, I'm drawing a line. I'm not having.
0: I, okay. I, I no. I can't speculation beyond what we know. Yeah.
2: No. I, I can't. I okay. can't. I mean, it's no. I just can't. Uh, another
0: part of the story
2: you may have seen. There's another name that may have caught your eye is Fire Eye. I don't know if you yeah, that that's name. where
0: I heard it first. Was it had to do with FireEye? I thought
2: right. So FireEye are a security company, and they were one of the first. or they were the first. As far as we know, they were the first to notice the presence of the APT. And one of the reasons it came to their attention is because they were a victim. So they were running Orion, and they had some of their they had their network compromised, and they had their red team hacking tools stolen. Huh? So. These are hacking tools used by FireEye in paid-for attacks to test the security of their customers. So a red team is a non-malicious person behaving as if they were malicious. In other words, you pay someone to try hack you to right. test your defenses. That's a red team. Mm-hmm. And you might pay someone to try defend you, and that's a blue team. Um, so red team tools are hacking tools used by good guys. So FireEye's hacking tools were stolen. Now, the first important point is that those FireEye hacking tools did not contain any unpatched vulnerabilities. In other words, they were not tools based off zero days, which is good because if a whole bunch of zero days had been stolen from FireEye, that would be worse. I really like FireEye's response. FireEye went, okay, these tools are now out there. Therefore, everyone should know about them. So we've open sourced a lot. Here are some tools for helping you spot their use on your network. And here are the countermeasures you can take.
0: Wow, because that's their bread and butter. I mean, that's, that's the, their their secret sauce. What they sell—that is a way you could argue it. But FireEye's view and
2: the view I would agree with is their actual secret sauce is the scale of their staff.
0: Right, but I'm I'm saying you could oh, be yeah. a small-minded organization that yes. thought, well, no, this is our this is what we Correct. sell. But you're right; it isn't what they sell. And in fact, I wonder whether this could be advantageous to them. That to the very people they're protecting, they showed as good a face as you could yeah. have. Yeah, no, to, to me fate.
2: this was this was such a good response, and because FireEye could have come out of this looking, oh. That this private company was hacked and they're the cause of all of these problems, but that's not how FireEye come out come out of this at all. FireEye come out of this looking extremely good. A, they were the first to spot this problem, which had been going on since March, and B, their response to having been compromised was extremely helpful to the community as a whole. So FireEye come out of this looking really good.
0: Yeah, this is the f- they were the first thing I'd heard on this. Uh, yeah. This is another advantage. I'm glad we had a little bit of time between when this first broke and when you and I are talking.
2: <laughs> Me too.
0: <laughs> because the like, the 17th of
2: December is not that long ago, but even in those few days, th- th- this has developed a lot. In yeah. fact, there's been an update to the advisory from CISA in those few days. <laughs> uh, another thing that has cropped up a bit is mentions of Office 365. Yeah, and
0: what as- is the connection there?
2: So as best as I can tell, the way this works is if you have an on-premise system, you can connect that to your Office 365, if you're a large enough organization to want to do that.
0: Wait, what do you mean an on-premise system?
2: So you, you can imagine you have an Active Directory in your organization mm-hmm. and you have Office 365. Mm-hmm. You can federate those together together. So that your accounts flow automatically from your on-premise AD into Office three hundred and sixty five, and you have single sign on between Office three hundred and sixty five and your corporate network. So you log into Office three hundred and sixty five. I don't know what you account. mean
0: by on-premise. Something
2: but, that belongs to the corporation. Your right, Corp's Active Directory server could manage authentication to Office three hundred and sixty five for well, Oh, Allison where Corp's Office three hundred and sixty
0: five is not on-premise.
2: Office three hundred and sixty five is a cloud service offered by Microsoft.
0: Right, but you can sometimes have those served from within. No, that would no.
2: That would be a local exchange server. Office 365 is always in the cloud. Okay. Office 365 is the name Microsoft give to their tools in the cloud. It's actually exchange. Office 365 is basically exchange and SharePoint in the cloud. Okay. But Office 365 means in the cloud. Okay. So It is definitely the case that if you get badly enough compromised not in the cloud and you have integrated the cloud very closely with not in the cloud, then that contagion is going to spread into the cloud. All right. And that was conflated by Microsoft
0: servers were hacked. That's not a correct conflation. So are users of Office 365, the generic Office 365 user, compromised in any way from what happened? No, No. Okay,
2: but it, hmm. right if you if you're a corporation and you use Office three hundred and sixty five, you're not using generic Office three hundred and sixty five. You have a Microsoft call it a tenancy. You basically have your own copy
0: of Office three hundred and sixty five. That's what I was trying to describe, and you said that didn't exist. That that would that Office three hundred and sixty five is always in the cloud, but it is in the cloud. It's just
2: you have like it's a sky with lots of clouds, and you have your cloud or the cloud that everyone is sharing. But it is, it is,
0: oh, it's still an off-premise server.
2: It's still, it's still a full cloud service, but you have your own little private area within it.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. All right. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay.
2: And so if you're compromised enough on-premise, then that compromise can spread into your bit of Office 365, your Office 365 tenancy. But that's not the same thing as Office 365 being hacked. And so there was initially some conflation, but it seems pretty clear now that Office 365 wasn't compromised. It's just some people's tenancies were because they were integrated with compromised Windows domains.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And that might have been part of where Linda's question came from, if you were thinking about Office 365.
2: Actually, yeah, that's quite possible too. These are subtleties, especially if you don't work in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. these are not straightforward so basically the bottom line here is that we are nowhere near the end of this Hmm. there is going to be news breaking about this for weeks we're going to find out probably that it's been happening longer that there are more victims and that they're more compromised because it's certainly not going to be less we're not going to find out that this is less bad than we think
0: yeah we we were (laughs) wrong this is this is not a problem yeah, so the, there's only
2: one way this story's going, and I don't think it'll get there in a hurry. I think it'll keep going for quite some time. So yay. Oh, well, at least it, it lets you off the hook from
0: talking about lawsuits for a while.
2: <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> this sort of reminds me of the, the day we broke the story about uh, Spectre and Meltdown. I was thinking the same thing. That was when I think you described
0: it as the gift that will keep on giving.
2: Yeah, and this is, the, this is the same sort of thing. This is a story that cannot wrap up quickly. It just can't. Yeah. Okay, so the next deep dive I have is Facebook's PR campaign against Apple's upcoming tracking transparency feature. And this is just something I just want to just clear up. So in WWDC, one of the things Apple announced was that it would be adding a feature to iOS to make access to your iPhone or iPad's internal tracking ID opt-in instead of opt-out. So to track you across multiple ads there has to be some way of identifying you as being the same you in the other app. Okay. And so the unique identifier for that is Apple's ad tracking identifier. And at the moment, the APIs make that identifier available to every app by default, and you, the user, can hit a button to reset the identifier, which means that you reset the tracking to zero. What Apple are updating is that access to the identifier is now going to be... Protected in the same way that access to location data is protected. The app can ask, but the operating system will then intercede, pop up a notification to the user, say, uh, Hello, user, this app would like to have access to your tracking ID, yes or no. And then you, the user, either de- accept or decline. And only then does the operating system answer the API call from the app.
0: Okay, so it's not until you say yes
2: or no. It's not until you say yes or no. So it's exactly the same way the operating system handles requests for calendar information, requests for location information, requests for photos. It's basically okay. the API allows the app to request. The operating system steps in and asks the user what to do. And so now that will apply to the tracking ID for advertising. And I was supposed sounds to roll like out- this would
0: improve our privacy, Bart. Correct, because
2: it doesn't change what the API does. And it doesn't change what the, tra- what the apps can do. What it changes is whether or not we know about it. So this <laughs> is a change in transparency, not a change in functionality. You would never tell this from the way Facebook are carrying on. Facebook are saying things like Apple is preventing tracking. No, Apple is preventing clandestine tracking by forcing honesty. The fact that most of us find the stuff that Facebook's business model is built on deeply creepy and horrible, that's a problem for Facebook. But that's not... The reason that tracking is going to go down is because we didn't know you were doing this and we really, really don't like it. Not because Apple are blocking tracking. So basically, Facebook have built a business model based on deception. Apple are shining a light on the deception and Facebook are panicked. And so, so they ran they're, two. They're big- oh, go ahead. Well, they ran two full-page newspaper ads in the US arguing that they are protecting small businesses and COVID. A terrible year. <laughs> Did they throw in the children? <laughs> I think COVID might be the new version of will somebody think of the children, but yeah, will somebody think of the small businesses and
0: COVID, COVID, don't you know? COVID. It's a terrible time. Yeah, so th- 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 to make a small stab at describing what they what they said in a positive light was they were saying that the uh, uh, the vast majority of their um, ads are for small businesses and that they have data that shows that the ads that allow third party tracking. Uh, to be able to identify you, to be able to see, you know, this is going to be a targeted ad. Those are something like sixty percent better return uh, on those on those kinds of ads. And so, therefore, by uh, the commutative property of equality, it hurts small businesses if we can't track you without your permission. And uh,
2: there's many places that argument breaks down, but the,
0: the yeah, the thing I the thing I keep thinking about was, you know, in the olden days. Not that long ago, you put an ad in a newspaper or a magazine and you had no idea who was reading that. Maybe you knew if you, I was reading Car and Driver that I cared about dual overhead cams and, you know, machine shops or something, you know, that might be a good way to right. track it. But that was that's always been an extremely effective advertising
2: model. You base the advertisement on the content it will be shown with. Right. Because right.
0: that is self-selecting. Right. right. If you advertise on a tech podcast for your um, uh, Linode servers, then you're probably going to be talking to the people who might know what a Linode server would do for them.
2: Right. And if you advertise on gossip columns about Princess, well, Diana's not around anymore. Oh, sorry, I've been watching The Crown too much. Uh, <laughs> whoever the current celebrity du jour is, then you're going to be advertising a whole different raft of products. But you know it's a little more work telling the advertising work. telling the ad well it's not even that much more work because if you take the same algorithms we're now using to track people and you use those algorithms to analyze the context and then to sell ads based on the context so you could buy keywords not based on who but based on where so you mm. the advertiser would be saying I want ads in content that, ref- that, that, that meets these criteria and right. you could still sell ads in the same way it's just That's not how the industry is set up at the moment. And you have Apple adding in this transparency for cross-app tracking, which is frightening the advertisers. But actually, this isn't really what has the advertisers frightened. There's another piece of context, which is that something that has happened is that Apple have massively improved the AI behind their tracking prevention on the internet. And that has had a massive impact on the ability of trackers to track on the open internet, because Safari users, oh. particularly on iOS, have dried up as a source of tracking information, and so the fact that it's now also going to affect apps is just like ah, the sky is falling. Oh, and it's just accelerated.
0: One of the uh, one of the fun things is that uh, people who use Safari are people who have bought iPhones and Macs who have been shown to be high-value advertising targets because we spend money. Yeah.
2: So 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 it's coming from the worst company possible. Yeah, it's just... I mean, basically, you have a business model built on the fact that it used to be possible to track people easily without their consent, and now it isn't, and the business model is collapsing. But that's just a sick business model, is my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're acting like it's the only business model that can exist. Which wasn't true before the internet,
2: which is not that long ago, isn't true on a whole bunch of media right now today,
0: and will simply not be true in the future. The, um, the one thing that is fair to say is that uh, advertising is, uh, dollars are way down right now because of COVID. So that that part of it might have a smidge of, of truth in the middle of it.
2: Yes. I mean, yes. I mean, and change is hard. Mm-hmm. So it is definitely the case that this is going to trigger a change. But to be honest, the intelligent tracking prevention in Safari is a much, much, much bigger deal than this cross-app tracking stuff.
0: So wasn't there something about a bunch of newspapers uh, agreeing with uh, Facebook? I heard the Wall Street Journal and Forbes and... Yeah, so it's not quite agreeing with Facebook. It's even more
2: head-slapping than that. They have joined the Coalition for App Privacy, which is the group set up by Epic.
0: Wait a minute. App privacy?
2: Uh, Sorry, App Fairness. The Coalition for App Fairness. Oh, okay. So they've signed on with Epic because they're cranky at Apple. It's basically everyone who's (laughs) cranky at Apple get together. Uh.
0: Okay, so just generically, we hate you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So so basically, Epic is cranky because of the App Store. This Mm -hmm. involves apps and the App Store. So it's not unrelated.
0: I can't wait t- to see them go to court to try to argue that, that uh, getting at our privacy is, a, is, a, is their right. That, there is a French case
2: that is exactly that. They're saying mm. that preventing tracking is anti-competitive behavior. Oh, they're, use, they're, trying to use anti-competi- they're, they're trying to use anti-monopoly laws in France to force Apple to allow tracking. I don't know they're going to get very far, but that is a case that is actually pending in front of a French court. I am watching with bated breath.
0: Yeah. All right.
2: Well, that's our deep diving done. Goodness me. What what a a pair of weeks. So let us move on to action alerts. So our call to action. It was patch Tuesday amidst all of that. (laughs) Uh, So if you use Windows or Office, patchy, patchy, patch, patch. And if you use Lightroom from Adobe, patchy, patchy, patch, patch. And then the day after Patch Tuesday, so obviously it took them, a, they obviously didn't meet their deadline. Um, Adobe released an out of band for Acrobat and Reader, so patchy, patchy, patch, patch. Meanwhile, in Cupertino, Apple patched almost everything. And that includes the surprise patch to iOS 12.5 and WatchOS 6.3, which gives both a bug, a security fix. And tracking notification for COVID, as we talked about before.
0: Well, right. Okay. But there was also bug fixes, you said? A security there fix as well?
2: Security fixes too. Yes. In both okay. of those. So 12.5 and 6.3. And then a related story. There is now an extra search engine option in iOS, iPadOS and macOS. You can now choose to have your searches performed by Ecosia, which is a privacy aware search engine, which uh, plants trees to offset its carbon. Huh? So it's green and private is its claim to fame. So it's another choice to add into the mix. How good it is at actually searching, I have no idea. But hey, it's it's going to change to to it for
0: an hour till I go back to Google.
2: Uh, I have I am succeeding in having DuckDuckGo on my mobile devices without without losing my ever loving mind. I am not succeeding on my desktop. It seems I do different things on my phone and my desktop. So my phone DuckDuckGo is proving to be absolutely fine, but on my desktop it isn't. Which is interesting. Interesting. Uh, Moving on then to worthy warnings. Uh, Spotify has had to reset a bunch of passwords because it accidentally exposed a bunch of users' private account information. Um, This affected Aynosila Castaway, who was kind enough to pass on a copy of the letter so we can all read in detail. It doesn't seem to be quite the world's worst possible breach because it seems that the information was leaked to partners rather than to the public or to an attacker. So this information should not have been available to partners of Spotify, but it was. But auditing of the logs shows that while it was available, it doesn't seem that anyone actually made use of it.
0: Okay. So So you don't want it out there, but it's not like it was on the open web to be yeah. added to the to the password uh, hash tables and all that, correct. Mm.
2: And it well, whether you like it or not, you've just been forced to do a password reset. So that's kind of a good response, actually. Yeah. And so, actually, I think Spotify's letter is an example of the right way to respond to these things. Here's what happened. Here's here's what data was in, was affected. Here's what we've put in place to stop it happening again. And basically, they lay out what they know. So, on the whole, I think Spotify have handled this quite well. Obviously, they shouldn't have done the whoopsie, but humans, there are humans involved. So, you know, you track people based on the response to whoopsies. Uh, There is a warning from Naked Security. Don't fall for the messenger scams. Is it you in the video? Mm -hmm. This will almost certainly arrive to you on a social media platform of some sort and appear to come from one of your contacts who've just been hacked. Which is why your gut re. Like, if you got that message from a stranger, you would absolutely positively never, ever pay it any heed. But you are likely to get this kind of message from someone that looks like or is your contact because either they have been impersonated due to some sort of vulnerability in the service as a whole that allows impersonation or because their account has just been hacked. And if you follow the advice, you'll probably be next, and all of your contacts will get
0: the same sort of message <laughs> appearing to come from you. So, this, so is, this is why I hate it. Whenever people talk about, uh, you know, don't click links in emails, they always say, don't click links in emails from people you don't know. No, don't yeah. click links from yes, people exactly, you do exactly. know Stop unless stalking. you're expecting it or it makes sense with the context that they've given you, you know? Actually, I had meant to put this in the show
2: notes and I forgot. So, one of the things that you have helped me to become, to do as a reflex is never, ever, 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 ever follow a link in an email. And I've taken that same advice through to SMS messages. And that's a really good thing because I was both simultaneously tricked by a vishing scheme or a smishing scheme, I think we call it when it's SMS-based. Smishing. (laughs) Yeah, so phishing is email, vishing is voice, and smishing is SMS. So I fell for a smishing attack that appeared to come from my bank. Oh, but wow. because it is such a reflex, thanks to you, I didn't click the link in the SMS message. I phoned my bank using the phone number I had stored before anything happened that I know is correct. And mm. my bank were very good at saying, tell me, does the message contain the following phraseology? It's like, yes, that's exactly the message. Yes, you and 5,000 other people have phoned us about this today. Wow. It's a phishing message. And then I looked at it again, and I realized that in the URL where there should be a dot, there was a dash.
0: Oh, but it it wasn't obvious, but you still went with your instinct, which was call them on the phone. Correct. So
2: basically, I both fell victim and was not damaged by that fact. So they succeeded in tricking me, but because of the really good habit you've hammered into all of us, it didn't cost me anything. They succeeded in tricking me, but not in defrauding me.
0: There you go. That, a completely different thing, a much better ending to the story.
2: It is. And I, I, I actually, felt, I, I made a mental note that I had to thank Alison because you got that message into me. And I now spread that message every opportunity I get, but it saved me. Like, And, you know, people have this notion that because I do security bits,
0: I would never <laughs> fall for one of these tricks. No, I'm a human being. Of course I fall for these things. Yeah, I I hope we have cemented that concept, but that's why I repeatedly tell that story about the uh, the uh, Yubi- the original use of the YubiKey that were, I was a complete and utter idiot about it. So um, yeah, no, we are not infallible. We are right there with you. Yep, exactly. And the best you
2: can do is develop the kind of habits like never following a link from an email, never clicking on a link in an SMS message, phoning your bank from a number you had saved before anything happened. And if mm-hmm. you get into that habit, then even when, inevitably, you are tricked, and you only have to be
0: tricked for 30 seconds, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point.
2: And so, and the amount of sysadmins who tell me firsthand stories about how they fell for something, and then they looked at it again five minutes later, and we're like, oh, of course! Right, Why did right, I not right. notice that? But we're all human. Oh, anyway, so it's, I should, thought it was important to sneak that in. So, finally, on to notable news. And again, the universe has been darn busy. (laughs) So in America, we'll start in America and then we'll move on to Europe. uh, Basically, it seems that regulators across planet Earth have just been busy. So first in America, the Federal Trade Commission, along with 48 attorneys general, so 48 states, have filed an antitrust suit against Facebook, alleging their acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp were anti-competitive and requesting they be broken up.
0: Can this I has make not a, gone over well. Can I can I make a, a slight commentary here that hopefully doesn't border too much on politics? I thought that the FTC's job was to make sure that that before somebody can buy somebody that they check into what would be the repercussions of them buying them.
2: It is something they have
0: the power to do,
2: whether they choose to do it or not. Correct and one of the points Facebook is making is that, but this merger was approved. How dare you go back in your word? And that's actually factually incorrect. If you oh. look at the way that it actually works, the letter you get when the FTC permits a merger is not, we think this is okay. What the letter says is oh. we have no objection at this time, but reserve the right to object later.
0: Oh, that's a really important distinction. I did not know it said that. Neither did I until a lawyer explained it to me on one of the really
2: good podcasts I listened to. It's like the lawyer was like, "Okay, so Facebook are just wrong. The actual wording of these letters from the FTC that quote unquote approve a merger are we don't object at this time and we reserve the right to object later. Well, it's later. We now object.
0: I think I've mentioned this a few times, but I did have a brief brush with the FTC on uh, a monopoly, monopolistic behavior of a company. And Uh in this particular case, this company, there were five companies that made the same product, and the same product was actually an open source product called Nastran, and uh, it was it was created by the U.S. government. And so uh, there were five companies. This company bought three of the uh, their four competitors. And then immediately tripled the cost of their software Ouch. and because you did not have an alternative. And what, what the FTC explained to me when I was being deposed on this, I was oblivious. I didn't know they'd bought these companies. All I knew was my cost had tripled. Yeah. And uh, what they explained to me was that it is not illegal to be a monopoly. Correct. It's not illegal to grow to the point that you have uh, that you have a monopoly where you get into the most trouble is when you buy companies to make yourself a monopoly. That was a, a very important distinction they put in. So mm-hmm. when you look at Apple having a monopoly over their app store, that's actually different than if they had bought all of the app stores and then started charging too much. Uh, yes. and that it, you, I think you can still get in trouble for that. Uh, yeah, for doing fits? it where you grew it yourself, but buying it is the worst kind. And this is what what uh, I think why Facebook has gotten into trouble.
2: That is, yeah, that is all correct. Uh, basically, the crime is abuse of monopoly power. Mm-hmm. The crime is not having a monopoly, the crime is abusing a monopoly. So when Microsoft got in trouble, it was because they were using their monopoly on Windows to give themselves an advantage in the browser market.
0: Right. If right, they were... Right, right
2: if they had a monopoly in windows and they didn't use it to do something that's not allowed no problem it's the moment right. you abuse your monopoly problem that you get and the other the thing trouble. that's important and in a lot of law it doesn't matter why there's a, the vast majority of law the why is not really important it just matters that mm-hmm. why did you why did you avoid paying tax irrelevant you didn't pay your tax here's the bill <laughs> but in mergers and this kind of stuff the why is central oh. if you bought a company for the purpose of making a better offering for you and your customers even if that results in a monopoly that's probably fine but if you bought a company because you were afraid of them uh that is expressly illegal
0: and that's which- where that's where it comes back to facebook with with uh whatsapp and um
2: and emails very incriminating emails from Mark Zuckerberg basically saying oh dear goodness we need to stop these from existing we need to clamp down on this and the right. other line of evidence is that there was facebook was actually doing a lot of innovation to make their service more private until they bought out all the rivals and then they completely pivoted and started to become much more data hoovery
0: Oh, be, interesting. Which interesting.
2: proves they're using their monopoly inappropriately. So that's certainly the argument that is going to be made against them. Uh, okay. How it all stacks up in court is a whole different kettle of fish. Meanwhile, Texas, their attorney general was extra busy, uh, also focused on Facebook. Um, but they they are leading another separate court case uh, about a specific incident where Facebook entered into an illegal conspiracy with Google, according to the Texas AG. Well, basically, Facebook sold Google access to stuff that was supposedly end-to-end encrypted. Oh. Which is a whole oh. bunch of, hang on a second. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, exactly. So this, this is a really big deal as well. So that, that's a separate court case being led by Texas, nothing to do with the FTC. So, yeah, not a good, well, not a good week for Facebook. It's all broke this week. Meanwhile in Europe, the European Commission has released new guidelines requesting that search companies operating stores, sorry, search companies and companies operating stores identify the algorithmic parameters that determine ranking and share them with companies. So what that means is if you're Google or Apple or Amazon, then you have to explain why, say, Spotify ranks fourth in a search for the word music on the App Store or in Google, or say when you search for a power adapter, the Amazon favorite one comes at the top. You basically have to explain your algorithm so that companies know whether or not you are abusing your monopoly power in how you list things on your search results/slash store. So they're not saying you, they're basically just saying you have to tell us why. This outranks that. Okay. Which is just transparency being asked for. It was interesting. But that's a guideline. And that made a lot of news. But it was a guideline. Not a law. Because the commission don't have the power to make laws. So that was just a guideline. What the commission... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. A few days later, the commission did something way more concrete. So the Commission don't get to pass laws, but they do get to write laws, which the European Parliament then has to vote on. So the European Commission published two new laws, the Digital Markets Act, or DMA, and the Digital Service Act, or DSA. And basically, the DMA is all about laying down rules for what they call online gatekeepers, and they have a whole definition for what makes you an online gatekeeper, but I can summarise it for you very quickly. If you have... A search engine, an online store or an app store, you're a gatekeeper. And the rules basically define how you should run your store fairly. And if you mess up, you could be fined up to 10% of global revenue. So global revenue, that's, that's a big fine.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: The Digital Services Act, then, is basically for social media companies and news outlets. And it simply defines what to do in cases of illegal content like terrorism, child abuse, that kind of stuff. And if you don't act appropriately in dealing with illegal content, you can be fined up to 6% of global revenue. Wow. So they are proposed laws that now need to be voted on by the European Parliament. So they're not in effect, but that is what Europe would like to do.
0: And so this is th- these two laws are being described as the follow-on to the GDPR. Hey, can I use that as a segue to something I don't think you have in the notes unless mm-hmm. I've missed it searching here, is that Facebook's UK users are going to lose EU privacy protections next year? They're I moving the, to add that to the notes. Yes, you're right. They're because... adding them to the uh, to the US version. Yeah, since they can, right? Oh, you've left the EU. Good on you. We'll have your privacy. Exactly. Exactly, and we forgot back when you were we had the U.S. flags up. I was supposed to tell you one other thing that was fun. Um, okay, I believe we've talked about it here. That California passed an act called CCPA, which I forget what it stands for, but it's a California California Privacy Consumer act. Privacy Protection Act. I believe. Say it one more time. I talked over California you. California Consumer Privacy Protection Act. Okay. That might be more C's and P's. Anyway, I got my first uh, pop-up on it. I was uh, ordering a copy of Taming the Terminal in book form. Mm. I'm experimenting with the uh, Lulu Press, which is an online – basically, you can publish your own book. And Mm. I had sent a copy to me, and I sent a copy to uh, Bart and one to Helma. And up popped the CCPA compliance policy, and it said – Lulu does not ever sell your information, though we may share it for specific marketing purposes through our third-party providers, blah, blah, blah. There's a little checkbox that says, do not sell my personal information, which I clicked and confirmed. So I got to use the CCPA.
2: Excellent. And I assume we'll all get to see more of that. That's
0: great. I like that. Yeah. Well, I wonder whether you
2: will. Well, that's interesting because the CCPA is less restrictive than GDPR. So I imagine that a website will basically have an if statement that says if if GDPR applies ask for that permission because it's an even bigger permission than CCPA permission.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Interesting though. So I think what's particularly interesting is what Alistair would get to see in Australia Sorry, in New Zealand. Will he see either of these or you know because a lot of well, companies or are just saying in, it's
0: if you're Detroit you wouldn't see CCPA
2: Right, so the question then is, is it just easier to give everyone in America the same rights instead of having three levels of service, a European level, an American level, and a California level? Or do you just draw a line and say, I'll tell you what, the GDPR is the most restrictive of all, why don't we just do that? It's interesting to see how companies will respond, but California being such a large economy within America and having the first privacy rule with teeth in Mm -hmm. America is definitely going to start setting a floor under things. So it's yeah. good to see that in action. Really happy to see that. And you sent me a screenshot. I liked, I liked seeing it. It was nice. Yeah. Uh, speaking sort of kind of of our Antipodean friends, um, not New Zealand, but Australia is suing Facebook over its use of the Onavo VPN to snoop on people. So, Oh. This is an old story that, the Western world, sort of, or the the northern half of the Western world, has sort of decided to sort of tut tut and let go. Uh, but the Australians seem to have just remembered that it happened and decided actually we're not going to just tut tut and let it go. So they are suing Facebook over it. So we shall see how that goes. And then finally, uh, an example of GDPR working the way it's supposed to. The Irish Data Protection Commissioner has fined Twitter five hundred and fifty thousand. Dollars equivalent in euros uh, for violating GDPR. Now, this is not a massive big auga auga. Basically, GDPR says you have to report breaches within X amount of days. Twitter were late reporting a breach. They have now been fined for their lateness. They have paid the fine and they have promised to do better next time. Hmm. So it's working. So it's working. Good. Boring and mundane,
0: but it's working. And that's how it's supposed to be. And, and, uh, Ireland got a half a million dollars out of it?
2: Yeah, because they're all headquartered here. So uh, our data protection commissioner is the, the data protection commissioner for an awful lot of GDPR stuff for big corporations.
0: Where does that the money G- go? Uh,
2: to the to, to to the Irish government, just like the French collected money goes to the French government. So it's okay. one of the advantages of having lots of multinationals here is we get to be the GDPR collectors. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And we get their taxes, but we have a very low tax rate to keep them here. So we get to keep a
0: small amount of a lot of money. So you better, uh, a good revenue stream is to keep looking for places that they've uh, violated the privacy. <laughs> Our, you could argue that
2: the, the Data Protection Commissioner could be a, used as a revenue source. I would argue that's a bad <laughs> approach. Um, I've actually, the Data Protection Commissioner has actually given keynote. Uh, addresses to a few conferences i've been at and their actual approach is quite different they prefer to work with companies to help them adjust their culture rather than to just be extortionists good which is much healthier so i I don't think they should but it is nonetheless you're right it is you know half a million just for ireland so that is something it's not nothing uh uh, one top tip crossed my radar Uh, a nice article from naked security Fishing tricks that really work and how to avoid them. Hmm. It's There's nothing earth shattering in here. But as I proved, <laughs> no harm reminding yourself from time to time. Exactly. Uh, in terms of interesting insights, then, I actually have three stories here I want to link to. Uh, the first is that Craig Federici of Apple fame was one of the keynote speakers at the European Data Protection and Privacy Conference, which is quite a dry conference. Oh, But his talk was actually quite interesting, and uh, the link in the show notes embeds a video of the entire keynote. Now, Craig is not the speaker for the entire keynote, there's lots of boring stuff, but if you fast forward to 49 minutes, you get to watch Craig for, I think it's about 10 or 15 minutes. It's it's not short, but it's not long. And it's actually very detailed, and Craig basically describes Apple's four privacy pillars in very practical terms the thinking behind it, how it's implemented, what it really means. It's actually a very good insight into Apple's thinking on
0: privacy. Nice. So, and in the Macromers article that you linked to, there's actually a link to get right to the 49-minute mark, so you don't even have to scrub by yourself.
2: Yeah, excellent. Even better. And there's also, if you're just lazy, you can read a few quick pull quotes. But honestly, it's actually worth watching the whole discussion because it's its a lot more natural than... It, 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 there's a lot more to it than just the pull quotes right uh w- one minor point is craig is bad at audio and uh, his his volume levels are way lower than the rest of the speakers in the keynote so if you yeah. scrub yourself you'll need to really crank up the volume when you get to 49 minutes but anyway i, okay. I listened to him just fine but it did make me chuckle a bit that he messed up his audio <laughs> as a podcaster who's messed up his audio obviously um an article from time sort of crossed my radar today um Here's how shopping scams on Facebook are ripping off thousands of customers with money flowing overseas. It's kind of sort of a timely warning to be careful what you buy on a Facebook ad. And just in general, really. But it's an interesting look at some actual examples of actual human beings who are actually defrauded and how it happened to them, which will at least give you some sort of insight into how this works in the real world instead of in the abstract. So I always think it's good to read examples so that I have a better understanding of how this works for reals. So I thought that was a good article from Time. It's quite long, so you may find yourself reading the first couple of paragraphs and then skimming the rest. I may have done that.
0: Here's a top tip. Go into reader mode, select all, and then tell your device to read it out loud to you and you that can set too. the speed so what i'll do is i'll do that and then i can brush my teeth and you know make the yeah. bed and everything and do it as like a quick almost like a podcast but you could do that on safari on your iphone or your mac so uh like and i have I
2: would, a butler to read the newspaper to you
0: yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it's quite it's quite handy it's all built in excellent
2: um and another final link uh just to why more um there was a story that broke because there was a kid managed to spend 16 grand on in-app purchases and the mother blamed apple uh there's been an awful lot of hot air spewed about this so it really caught my eye that i more had an actually thoughtful useful and helpful analysis of this where you could actually get some useful insights into the realities of parenting in the middle of a pandemic not judgy not preachy and might just help you to manage your iOS devices more safely. Because there was okay. an awful, awful lot of preachiness about this story. So it was really nice to see a not preachy take.
0: Okay. Oof. <laughs> That's all? Do <laughs> you have a palate cleanser to
2: close things out? I do have one palate cleanser. So I've been looking for an excuse to recommend a new podcast to you. And mm. this week's episode is the perfect tie-in to Security Bits. So there was a podcast I absolutely adored called Recode where the host was Kara Swisher and she interviewed powerful people in tech, usually women, and there were brilliant conversations. But Kara has moved on to other things. And that feed, we were told by Kara at the end of her podcast, don't unsubscribe. There is something new coming to this feed. It won't be me. But if you liked me, you'll probably like this. I was like, okay, I will say subscribe. Thank you, Kara. Well, the something has appeared. It is a new podcast called Decoder by Neilai Patel. He's also from Vox. And Neilai also interviews interesting tech people, but just in a different style to Kara. And I mean, there's only been a few episodes, so I'm not quite sure if I can give a very, very big description. But what I can say is every episode so far has been really good. And Mm -hmm he tends to find interesting people to talk about a topic that's important to tech from a point of view we might not have thought of before. It seems to be what, what's going on here and the specific one that caught my eye to link in as a palate cleanser here is advertising from the other point of view. I am someone with something to sell and I want to buy ads in this topsy-turvy world that will actually succeed in selling my thing. That's not the point of view we normally hear. We normally hear the point of view from the advertising platforms or from the customers whose privacy is being invaded. We don't tend to hear the point of view from the person trying to sell something who does not want to make people angry, doesn't want to exploit people, but does want to sell their product. (laughs) Right. <laughs> so yeah. this is an hour-long conversation with the chief marketing officer for Cadillac, who's a lady called Melissa Grady, and she oh so
0: the small business that Apple, that uh, Facebook was worried about.
2: <laughs> yeah, one of those. Yeah, <laughs> it's really fascinating because one of the things that comes up is this whole thing about Apple preventing tracking and the advertising industry losing its ever-loving mind, and Melissa Grady shrugs it off as a non-issue for people trying to sell stuff
0: oh wow interesting
2: very interesting i
0: I, I just subscribed
2: excellent excellent it's as i say even if you just listen to this one episode with melissa grady she is very candid very insightful fascinating interview and so far everyone else who nila has interviewed has also been excellent so so far so good so there we go one recommendation
0: there we go. Hey, so I made the right call moving the third deep dive to next week, didn't I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was pretty darn sure we were in for a long this,
2: Basically, we have recorded a programming by stealth length episode of Security Bits.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. All right. Well, Bart, this was fantastic. I really, really wanted to understand uh, the the big mess of this week. So I appreciate you going into such depth. This was this was fantastic.
2: Yeah, and it was fun to do. And it. it was it was good for me to, to get stuck into all these topics for my own knowledge and understanding. I just wish the universe would have spread these out a bit. <laughs> yeah, really. But, <laughs> dear universe, are you listening? But anyway, until next time, the key message remains, stay patched so you stay secure.
0: Well, that's going to wind us up for this mammoth week. Uh, don't forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions. You can always email me at allison at and follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, everything good starts with PodFeed.com. You want to become a patron? PodFeed.com slash Patreon. Want to do a one-time donation? Podfee.com slash PayPal. Want to join one of our communities? I can suggest podfee.com slash Slack for our Slack community or podfee.com slash Facebook if you're of the Facebook persuasion. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfee.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.